All right, and welcome back. This is the Livecast, and I'm your host, Mark. We started a new podcast last eh, couple weeks. This is episode three, and we're in a series called In the Beginning, and so we're exploring the first 11 chapters of the Bible, the book of Genesis, chapters 1 through 11. And last week we looked at part one, Genesis chapter one, that kind of runs into the first part of chapter two. And today we're going to look at Genesis 2, verses 4 through 6, and we're calling this episode Dirt, Flesh, and Divine Breath, because you're a paradox if you didn't know that, that human beings are this, we're this paradox. But before we get started, one kind of question that I wanted to address, if you've been paying attention if you noticed, Genesis 1 is a one creation story, and then in Genesis chapter 2, there's this second, this whole other creation story, and it raises a question, like, why are there two, right? Like, why are there two creation stories? Like, if you're paying attention, you you probably notice that there's details that are different, and that, like, in the Genesis 1 uh, creation narrative that the, the plants and, and trees and bushes, they are created first before animals and, and man. But in Genesis chapter 2, there is this dif- different, um, different way about, of, of going about it. And that, that God creates man first, and then trees and bushes begin to grow, and then he creates the animals and and it, so it raises this question, if you're, if you're an honest person, like, why is there two? And there are a number of theories, there are a number of perspectives, there's all kinds of different scholarship out there that, that explain these types of things. And to be quite honest with you, I don't, we don't even have enough time on this show to, to get into all of that. So I just want to give you kind of just a simple answer, um, an answer that kind of works for me. And... Um, hopefully it'll work for you, and if not, there's always other things out there. But I don't feel necessarily qualified to be able to go through all of the theories and perspectives. But for me, what's going on here is that the writers of the Bible, whoever recorded this, most most believe that it was Moses, is giving us two uh, perspectives or vantage points of, of viewing this creation. And so you could say that Genesis 1 is this macro perspective, seeing it from God's perspective, if you will, Um, and understanding that in this culture that they lived in, there was a number of different creation stories, and that Genesis 1 is the Jewish perspective understanding of God being one, and that all of these other things that were considered gods in their culture, the sun and the moon and the stars and the rivers and the mountains and volcanoes and all those types of things, they're actually, they're just part of God's creation. And so it's giving us a macro perspective or an overview of God's place in creation and then humanities and animals and the moon and the stars and all those types of things. So I would then say that Genesis 2 then is this micro perspective from perhaps you could say from the ground level, from man's perspective, and that it's revealing then humanity's place and purpose in God's creation. 
And so it's giving us kind of two perspectives, two ways of thinking. And also remember that Genesis, Genesis isn't a science book. And so a lot of times we can get bent out of shape about the details not lining up because we live in this scientific, rational worldview perspective of life where everything has to line up correctly. But in the ancient world, those kinds of details weren't as important as is this, how is this a deeper truth, if that makes sense. And so I just wanted to address that just in case um, perhaps you had those types of questions. But today we're going to look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 through 7, and talk about this idea that we are this dirt flesh, yet we have this divine breath. And so to get into all of that, I want to tell you a story. Um, I'm the pastor of a church, and we've been in partnership with a number of churches in Ethiopia, helping support them and uh, train them and... Um, partner with them. And so we send a team to Ethiopia every year during the winter to do some training and those types of things. And so we've been doing this for 10 years. We just celebrated our 10th anniversary. And a couple of years ago, I was dropping off. I wasn't going on the team. I was dropping off the team at the airport um, so that they could go and take this trip. And so it's late at night. It's snowing here in Ohio. It's like February, I believe, January or February, and I'm taking our team to be dropped off at the airport late at night. And, and so I take them, and you know, we're talking about all the things that God is doing in Ethiopia. Um, I pray for them as they go, you know, and just really one of those holy, sacred moments in life where you're just kind of living into what, what you believe you're supposed to be doing. Ever have those moments where you just, you know that you're alive and that this is good and like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And, and so I drop these people, I drop our team off, my parents being part of the team and some dear friends. And so we drop them off and I'm on my way home and I go and I drop off the vehicle that I had taken them in and I'm driving my wife's van home and Amber calls me and she wants me to pick her up something from the drive-thru. And so it's late and I don't want to go and I don't have any cash on me and it's not a very big purchase. And so I figure well, I'll just pay with the change that I have like in her car, right? And so I get to the drive-thru and make my order and um, I start digging through the change to come up with the right amount to pay this person. And it's sticky. Don't you hate, you know, you know what I'm talking about, that sticky change like you've dumped like you've accidentally poured a pop into the change and all of the grime and the grit and all of that stuff, and it makes this ball of grossness. And so I'm not very happy at this point that I have. First, I'm not happy that I have to go. Secondly, I'm not happy that I have to pay with sticky change. And so I count out the sticky change, and I give it to the guy, and he realizes that it's sticky, nasty change. And he immediately says to me, we don't take your, we don't take the nasty effing sticky change, which of course he didn't say it that nice, which then I in turn get defensive and spout off back. We'll find then and, and, uh, kind of pull out of parking lot. He gives me back the change. I give him back the thing that I had ordered. Like I'm not buying anything here then if that's how you're going to be about it. And I leave. And I'm pulling down the street, and I have this moment like, like, way to go, pastor. 
way, way to show the love of Jesus to these people in this town that you live in. And so I turned around and I went back and I cleaned the sticky change off with the snow that was on my car. And I apologized and he apologized because he was having a bad day as well. And I uh, went home. But I, but I had this thought like, wow, I'm a hot mess. Ever have those moments, ever have those those days, those things like, wow, like it, there are these moments where the angels are singing and you're praying for a mission team and a mission trip and that God will use them. And then the next moment you are find yourself in an argument with the drive through guy. Have you ever noticed, like, have you ever noticed how unstable or maybe unstable is probably not the best word. Have you ever noticed how fragile we can all be? Like we have this capacity for greatness, for self-sacrifice, for unbelievable cre- creativity, and yet there are moments where we can be very petty and, and pitiful. Genesis chapter 2, I, I believe, explains why this is. Beginning in verse 4, it says that this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, and when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. And then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. He takes, the story says that he takes the dirt of the ground and forms the man and then breathes the breath of life into him. And so we're like this complex cocktail of spiritual and yet physical we are, we are material, and yet we are immaterial. We are crowned with glory and honor, like it says in Psalms 8. And yet from dust we come, and to dust we shall return, like it says in Ecclesiastes. We are this mysterious mix of dirt flesh and divine breath. The Lord formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. This is why. This this is why you can go to a church service and worship God and sing and pray and hear the word and feel this transcendence, this connection to the divine, and then get into an argument and get all angry as you're driving out the church parking lot because of the person just won't pull out fast enough for you. Like there is that, there is that back and forth, that polarity, that paradox. This is why you can give great advice to your friends and be dependable and loving and caring and graceful. And yet you just can't keep your car clean. Like we're this, we're this, this paradox, this mystery of this divine breath and yet this this dirt flesh like we're fragile and like it could all like it could all fall apart at any moment and yet there are these moments where we are 
just there's this transcendence where we connect with the holy all around us. Now, why is this important to understand? If you find yourself all over the place, emotionally, spiritually, physically, like we all do, guess what? You're fine. It's going to be okay. In fact, you're, you're perfectly normal. Like, and, and the invitation in all of this is, is learning to embrace our humanity. It's learning to own it where we, we don't have it all together. It's learning to appreciate it in ourselves and in other people. And so there is this, to be a human being is to understand that we have a unique place in the, the order of creation, that we are the, the in-between of the spiritual realm and the physical world. And uh, that we we house the Spirit of God in us. And so a couple of implications, a couple of things to think about um, why this matters. Oftentimes what can happen when we think about the spiritual versus the physical, the divine versus kind of like the material world. And an immature way of looking at this is that we would, we would emphasize one over the other. And so for a lot of people, when it comes to their spiritual life or, or whatever you want to call it, they will, they will compartmentalize, like I have my, my spiritual life and then I have my regular life. And what we end up doing is we begin to divide kind of like sacred things and secular things, if you will. And so we can do this like on a personal level and we can do this on a social level. And so like, for example, on a personal level, like, Church clothes, for example. The idea of church clothes and dressing up nice for church um, and having to put on your Sunday best or whatever that looks like or having to be super holy because we're getting getting ready to go into this sacred space um, is, is emphasizing one aspect and, and yet not realizing that all the other things that we do in our life are just as holy and just as spiritual as a church service. Like I'll even hear people as a pastor, people will say things like, oh, I can't come to a church. Like the, the building would cave in on me. Well, here's the thing. Like every, everything is, it's all a temple. Everything is a temple. Everything is holy. And so there really isn't this divide. Like I even, I will hear people, they will struggle with guilt. Like I, I'm just not doing enough things for God. I, I was having a conversation with, I'm a young mother, and uh, right now she's staying at home and taking care of her two boys, and yet she struggles with this guilt of, I'm just not doing enough for God. And I'm like, what? Are you not staying home and taking care of your boys? Are you not like fixing them breakfast and teaching them to, to read and reading with them and playing with them and raising them and showing them what it looks like to love each other and not be selfish. Like, how could there not be something more sacred and holy than that? It's all about how we look at things. Like, everything is sacred. Everything is holy. Everything is spiritual. And we have to stop compartmentalizing our lives. We are this dirt flesh with this divine breath. And so we 
we carry in us the Spirit of God wherever we go and whatever we do. If you teach kids, that's a holy, sacred task. If you do law, that's that's a holy, sacred task. If you're in industry and you're creating a product or you're helping make a product that's going to help further this world, well, that's a holy, sacred task. If you're in law enforcement, that's a holy, sacred. Like everything is holy and sacred. And, and so what can happen is, is that we will divide one over the other. In, in the ancient world, this was called Gnosticism. Um, the word Gnostic being the Greek word for knowledge or gnosis. And, and it's mainly this, a divide or a split between that the spiritual is good and the physical is bad and understanding um, that we need to concentrate on these spiritual things. But that is a split. That's not what the Genesis story is about. The Genesis story is about this, this coming together, this marriage of the spiritual and the physical, and that you and I, we embody this. But this also happens on a social level. In the modern world, what has happened with modern science and discoveries is that we've been able to say, well, this is why these things happen in the way that the world works. So, for example, 300 years ago, if a volcano went off and you asked someone why did that happen, you would perhaps get the answer, well, she was angry. But now we know that there is lava and boiling points and plate tectonics and all those different factors that actually play into why a volcano erupts. And so in the modern world with scientific discoveries and rationalism, we have been able to say, well, this is why things happen and give us enough time. We don't need God anymore. We can just name things um, for what they truly are. And so what has happened in the last 200 years is that we've moved from a magical, mythical worldview into this modern world. But the problem with the modern world, and when we strip away the spiritual, is that it doesn't give us answers for the mystery that is the human being. It doesn't, it doesn't give us answers. Like it, it, you cannot, you, you can, can believe in these types of things until you have your first kid. And this love just births and it's like, wow, where did that come from? Or even this morning, I was having a conversation with a neighbor and her um, her granddaughter's boyfriend killed himself last night. And so, like, we could answer that question while he pulled the trigger and, you know, that. But that doesn't, science doesn't help the people left here. And so what we can do is we can overemphasize one over the other. But when we do that, it leaves us empty. It leaves us feeling lack. And so it's learning that to be a human being is the marriage of the divine and the physical. Now, a way to then begin to to perhaps remedy this is that we have to begin to view each perspective from the lens or the vantage point of the other. So what I mean by that is this. There is nothing spiritual that's apart from the physical. Like, 
no, nothing that you do spiritually is apart from you um, embodying it. And so everything is spiritual from from dirty diapers to washing dishes to mowing grass to walking along somebody who's lost a loved one. Like all of those things are physical and they're spiritual. And it's learning how that that we we bring together these two things. And so if we're going to learn how to step into who we truly are, it's learning to understand that everything that we do has a spiritual aspect to it. And that there aren't such things as spiritual things without the physicality. Which then leads us then to kind of one last thought on how to apply some of this. If we're really going to get get a true understanding of how this works. It's it's it begins with with everyone else. It begins with people. It begins with treating people with honor and with grace. We learn to honor other people because they have that divine breath. You 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 begin to honor those at Walmart, those in your neighborhood, those that you work with. You honor them. Because they have that divine spark. They were created in the image of God. And you see that in them. It's beginning to have eyes to see that in other people. And so it's learning how to honor people. But it's also learning how to extend grace to other people. Because extending grace is essentially leaving room for their their dirtness, their brokenness, their messiness, if you will. And so the posture that we begin to live in is this this posture of honor and grace, where we honor the divine and other people, but we also leave space for them to to mess up and to to not have it all together. And it actually begins with you. It actually begins with doing this yourself, honoring yourself, understanding that that you are loved that you were created in the image of God, that you have that divine breath, that you hold that divine spark, and yet leaving grace for yourself for when you mess it up, when you fall short. Which leads us to one thing that Jesus said. Jesus said that the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And I think this is where the rubber really meets the road with all of this. See, to love your neighbor um, without loving yourself, well, that's not really love. It's what sociologists would call, or counselors would call, codependency. It's where your self-worth and everything is totally dependent on the love and acceptance of someone else. But Jesus doesn't say to love your neighbor and not love yourself. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. And so it's learning to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Now, the other, the other side of that is that sometimes we can love ourselves without loving our neighbors. And the problem with that is that's just, that's just narcissism now, isn't it? And nobody likes a narcissistic person, selfishness. And so it's learning not, I can't just simply love myself and hate everybody else or be um, put off by everyone else. It's learning how to love them as I love myself, which is where the whole loving God part kind of plays 
plays into this. When we learn how to love God, it means that he pulls back and reveals the brokenness in our own lives. That's what seems to happen. Like we, we see when we, when we draw near to God, we see the, the flaws in ourselves, but he loves us regardless of those flaws. And in that loving us, regardless of those flaws, we discover that we're lovable. And so as we draw closer to God, we discover that we're lovable. But also as we draw closer to God, we also discover that everyone else is lovable too. It's learning how to see past the flaws in other people. And so I think that's what it means to be this paradox, to be this dirt, flesh, and divine breath, that we are honored that we are crowned with honor, with glory, and yet we are very fragile. From dust we come, and to dust we shall return. And so it's learning how to love our neighbors as ourselves. It's learning how to love ourselves. And the key to all of this is learning how to draw closer to God. And so I hope that makes sense. And so next week we're going to look at the next few chapters in Genesis 2 about the man not being alone. And uh, yeah, so I hope you guys are enjoying this and we will catch you next week. Blessings to you guys. Bye.